0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Daily Evolver and another fun filled adventure show starring The Shrink and The Pundit. I'm Jeff Salzman, The Pundit, and I am joined as always by integral psychotherapist extraordinaire, Dr. Keith Witt, The Shrink. Hey, Dr. Keith. Hey, Jeff. How, How are you, you d- doing? Well, I'm good. I'm, I'm, always, good. I'm,
1: great. I'm always I'm always super stoked and happy to talk with you. Yeah,
0: likewise. Uh, the topic today is um, it's it, in a way it's a topic that I'm surprised we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, uh, we've done I I think 25 plus of these shrinking the pundits, and we're just now getting to conflict, which ah. is of course one of the major engines of evolution. Uh, It's just interpenetrated with everything we do in a way, and yet it causes so much suffering, and yet it's so irresistible and juicy. (laughs) And and I know you've been preparing some thinking on this because you're doing a talk at a conference, and um, and I really love what you did. I mean, you're you've really thought it through evolutionarily, and you know how conflict manifests itself up the stages of development. Right up to second tier. And I I just have to read a, a sentence that you wrote because it, you know, when I read stuff like this, I think, oh yeah, baby. So here it is. You talk about, you know, moving into second-tier conflict. Mm-hmm. And you you talk about the markers of second-tier conflict, and you say, second-tier conflicts keep pumping compassion, love, and play into the fractal interface between order and chaos. Until it transforms into warmth and intimacy, the gold standards of interpersonal repair. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby! (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, I guess we'll just start maybe at the beginning and just this whole idea of evolution being driven by conflict, that fractal barrier between order and chaos, and you know how it continues to manifest.
1: Yes, uh, what you said—conflict is in everything. Yeah, that when, when the Big Bang happened, the laws of the universe came into existence, and one of them was chaos theory, complexity theory, which which was is that if there's a, the system, if there's a system of linked, differentiated parts that are energized arranged hierarchically and don't get lost in rigidity or chaos, they have a natural tendency to self-organize to greater complexity. And that's, you know, the human brain, that's you and me, we're a linked uh, system of differentiated parts arranged hierarchically.
0: Yeah. Well that's like, it's the old joke. How do you get the complete works of Shakespeare? Take a big mess of hydrogen and leave it alone for 13.8 billion years.
1: Right. And you know, 15 minutes after the Big Bang, the the plasma was turning it itself into a more complex form—hydrogen and helium. I mean, it's just it was just on and on like that. And so, that the 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 place where the novelty takes place, where that greater complexity arises, is a fractal inter- interface between order and chaos. And and if you get if you get carbon rigidity in in order, you don't go to greater complexity. If it blows away like a puff of smoke in chaos, you don't. But if you can stay at that fractal inter- interface, um, eventually it self-organizes to greater complexity. And this basically has been the evolution of the universe, and then it hit life. Um, and so that, that's conflict, that, that fractal interface. And so conflict is intertwined into every single thing that happens, every single thing that we do, for better or worse. So, well,
0: you, I love you you know, you and I were just talking a little bit before we started recording here, and you were talking about play uh-huh. and how conflict is just interpenetrated with play, yeah, you know, yeah. and it makes me think of I think it's Richard Feynman, the physicist, who talked about you know how subatomic particles behave, mm-hmm. and there's no rhyme or reason. Uh-huh. And he said the best thing he can come up with is that they're playful.. <laughs> I like
1: that. I do too, and I I believe that, and then we see it at every level of, of evolution. And you know, if you see a couple of little polar bears, or a couple of wolves, or a couple of gazelles, or whatever, when they're little and they're playing, there's a there's an era there's an aura of con- there's conflict involved. You right. push each other around, and they'll push each other often often um, to a point where somebody's distressed. Then they push back, and then as they push back, greater complexity in the relationship is established. So this is, this is a mammalian instinct yeah. that, that is involved with, with. And mammals, of course, have
0: social learning. Well, I'll, so, give you, I'll give you a real quick example of that. Sure, sure. My friend's French bulldog puppy that I often watch, and she's probably a year, year and a half old now. And she just, like a French bulldog, she loves to bite, and she loves to, and when she greets me, she's so excited, she wants to bite my face and my hands. And I've scolded her, and it, you know, get down, back, back, Sasha, you know, that kind of thing. And it doesn't really help until I read on Reddit, one of the dog training subreddits on Reddit, that the way to deal with that is to yelp, is to let her know that she hurt me. And by God... It has been miraculous in changing her behavior. When she bites me, I yelp. And she doesn't want to hurt me, she wants to play. And she's evolutionarily programmed to back off
1: at that particular sound. That's that's conflict resolving into more complexity. Um, You know, you see it in in the primates. The primates have intricate uh, social uh, structures. uh, that th- they're driven to evolutionarily, but then you, what you have is differences between individuals and individual upbringing will determine how effective they are. For instance, rhesus monkeys have a very hierarchical, matrilineal society, but the rhesus monkeys that have good mothers, they're way better at conflict resolution. The ones that bad mothers, way worse. They either dominate, they run, they're not very effective, and, they're, they're, and, and so on. So. It, 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 there's there's an awful lot of the instincts, and our instincts come from being a pair bonded species that organized in the tribes, and within those tribes, um, they had there was there was clearly dominance hierarchies, probably enforced if you can look back at the at the more advanced primates with dominance display like with gorillas and stuff. But after a certain point, you know, consciousness began to to, to take over. Um, and it happened more slowly, when I look back at the fossil record, it happened, punctuated equilibrium, sometimes it happened slowly, and sometimes it happened quickly. For instance, human beings used the same tools from a million years to 500,000 years ago, but then there was a catastrophe in um, uh, Africa where we don't get any fossils, because there's all kinds of volcanoes and stuff. But then 150,000 years later, all of a sudden, because that catastrophe created more chaos. The human beings had to create more complexity to deal with it. And so what do we have? We have evidence of trade, more sophisticated weapons and arrowheads and stuff. Seems like a
0: brutal way to do things. Evolution, me. Is, no Yeesh. <laughs> evolution is wasteful and, and brutal.
1: Here's my favorite new evolution thing. Uh, because as we began to get... Um, into language and symbolic communication, and where we could, we could imagine the the past and the future. We began to have nature mysticism cosmologies. We see evidence of that, starting with the with, with the Fox P two mutation, two hundred thousand years ago. But but continuing and especially accelerating hundred thousand years ago. And uh, there was an experiment that was done in Russia in nineteen fifty by this Russian geneticist, and. Uh, he wanted to, he was curious, how did things get to domesticated? So he took these commercial foxes and he went up to the, to the cubs starting at one month old. And he, he just picked the ones that were the least frightened of people and the most friendly. And he bred them and did that. In 10 generations, he had foxes, wild foxes, that were as, as, as friendly and lick your face as Irish setters. But not only that, their morphology changed. Their faces got flatter. Their co- the colors of their coats got more varied. They had more juvenile experience, uh, more juvenile appearance, a younger appearance. Well apparently 80,000 80, years ago, there was a proliferation of tribes in Africa, and there's some there's some um, speculation that between 80,000 and 60,000 years ago, humans self-domesticated. That in those tribes, when they're against each other, the, the people that were more altruistic and had more of a capacity to create alliances gave an advantage to themselves and their tribes. And what happened to human? the fossil records show that our, our skulls are a little bit smaller, our faces are a little bit flatter. Certainly humans have a wide variety of colors and shapes. We self-domesticated. And what that did is it amplified our instincts to care, share, and be fair. Yeah, we have those instincts, but we also have the instincts to dominate. We have the instincts to submit and so on. And so, okay, fast forward through evolution. Um, so how, did, how is conflict resolved? I mean, we can tell how it's resolved in play. You were just describing it. Um, we can tell how it's resolved with children. We look at children seven or eight or nine. Eight out of nine times when they have conflict, it resolves into somebody dominating or somebody running away. I mean, that's kind of the natural order of things. But you know, when you and I first met, I mentioned Julian Jayne's book on the, origin of, con- the
0: consciousness Origins, of consciousness. origin of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. His belief <laughs> was that the right and left hemispheres of humans had developed somewhat independently and the people heard voices and they believed they were the voices of the gods and that their shaman and their leaders had a clear channel um, into the voices of the gods and that, that generated um, conflict resolution, not to mention social cohesion, in societies up to around 2,000 years ago, when people's brains began to get stronger, you know, there was moving from pre-operational to concrete operational cognitively, well, that tends to suppress hearing voices. And that's when we begin to get, uh, and writing happened, and that's when uh, something that was really cool happened. The Dharma, remember, Miles' thing is Dharma. Dharma is basically a large, uh, 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 an interpretation of Dharma. It is the law, either general spiritual law, like the Eightfold Path, or specific laws. In 1800 BC, this guy, Hammurabi, he ruled the Assyrian Empire, and he created what's called the Code of Hammurabi, and he chiseled it in granite so that we found it later on. And what's interesting about the Code of Hammurabi is, in, in a way, it was the first dharma. You know, in this, he assigned rights to slaves and freemen and wealthy people. I mean, that was an evolutionary triumph. And he, he, when he did it, he did it in two voices. One was this complete power god, I am Hammurabi, I am the greatest, bow down, kiss my feet, and you're lucky to do it, guy. And then there was this... this, this More formal operational guys saying with over 200 laws, you know, if you steal an oxen, then the other, then you have to give back 20 oxen, you know, basically first order Dharma, concrete operational Dharma. Now, Julian James thought he was literally hearing voices that he was channeling, and he might have. And that was kind of the beginning of this interplay between Dharma as it's spoken, Dharma as it's written, and then the social structures. And now we can keep going forward into the into the, the diaspora in the Mediterranean in 1500 BC. There. Yep.
0: Well, you're, what you're talking about reminds me of a book that I've been intending to get. I actually pulled this together here. It's from a, I think it's the latest edition of the Atlantic, but it's a review of a book called The Goodness Paradox. Huh. I'm- uh, the Strange Relationship Between Virtue and Violence in Human Evolution. It's very much what you're talking about.
1: Exactly.
0: And um, it's by Richard Richard Rangham. And uh, this is the guy who wrote Demonic Males. <laughs> uh, that was a pretty, you know, influential book uh, a few years ago. And he talks about the difference between the chimps and the bonobos. Yes. And, and yeah. how the bonobos basically figured out a way of... Organizing betas to deal with alphas, yeah, and they had it you know they had different life conditions. they had a more lush uh, kind of a habitat and so forth. Uh, but it's interesting to see the differentiation between chimps and bonobos in terms of you know conflict versus well well, the love and war, basically. the well, bonobos do love, and the chimps do war they, you know chimps and bonobos
1: diverged two million years ago. And probably the bonobos did not have, you know, threats from from. Right. And so they self-domesticated.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what they're saying here.
1: They're matrilineal. Um, when they, when they have when two people have a conflict, two bonobos have a conflict, they sit and they stroke each other's genitals until they work it out.
0: Oh, that is scandalous.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I don't. I can think of worse ways to. <laughs> I suppose. Um, you know, and yeah. ships on the other hand, are, are a real patriarchal power god, very aggressive and so on.
0: Right. And so, well, go on. I was just going to say that, you know, w- one of the things he talks about, and this is very much evolutionarily, you know, down the line, is that it's a, it's a matter of uh, domesticating reactive aggression, is what he talks about. Mm-hmm. and uh, And that's, you know, reactive aggression is what... It's it's we want it to be right there when we need it, you know, yes. in the proverbial dark alley when somebody comes at us. We want to have reactive aggression, but we have all these layers of consciousness that we've laid on top of that. But it's still there. Yeah, and that's what's so kind of interesting and, and and confusing and you know dangerous in a way, and exciting and exciting. So conflict adds, you know,
1: happy a happy life involves. Uh, the capacities to love, serve, create, and play well, all of those things involve conflict involve dynamic tensions um, and dyna- those those dynamic tensions feed energy into those systems, and so th- that conflict is necessary for loving, creating, playing um, uh and serving. Yeah. Uh, and, and now, and I agree with him about reactive uh, de- um, uh, aggression. aggression. Certainly, certainly my, my studies of martial arts was way more about regulating violence than it was about spontaneous violence. You know, it was that, that a lot of the training was making a discernment and, and surrendering to the appropriate channel. Um, and, you know, there, we as humans have wildly different channels. But the thing about co- collaborative or nonviolent solutions, that's what dharma has been all about from
0: the very beginning. Well, l- l- let me look at that, because you, you, you uh, talk about that in these notes, that um, one of the things that human beings did, and I think you trace it back to Plato, is the dialectic. It, and it, it, you really, help, I hear the dialectic, and I know the dialectic and blah, blah, blah. But I got it in a deeper way. Because basically, what we sort of uh, innovated with is the art of arguing, (laughs) something like that, right? Yes, and and the the you know it brought brought great peace upon the land, and also we could do it with ideas and words instead of clubs and sticks. And also,
1: it's two people coming up with the you know the creative advance in the novelty. It's two people coming up with it. It's an, you know, it's an intensely humanistic activity. You know, before, wisdom had to come from the gods. Okay, you know, in, in, the, in the golden age of Greece, it really was analogous to the humanistic, human potential movement of the 60s in, in the United States. Really? Very similar. Uh, people, all the arts exploded. Dance, music, uh, theater, philosophy, science. And Socrates said two human beings engaged in going back and forth, giving and receiving influence, um, creates wisdom. Um, and he was talking about both second-order dharma. Second-order second dharma is perennial wisdom. You know, we, we don't do steal an ox, get 20 oxen back today. But we do the golden rule today, and we do the dialectic today, and we do raise the kundalini today, and we do... Um, uh, the eightfold the eightfold path is just as relevant today as it was during the axial period. There's certain kinds of, of of dharma that is seems to be fundamental to the human the human experience, and then there's other lesser order dharma that is all the lower right quadrant stuff that you know we need to get along in any specific
0: society, like laws and customs and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, the and and, and almost all of that stuff is designed to take us a step away from spontaneous violence as a resolution of conflict. Um, and eventually it led, in, in 1215, with the Magna Carta, it began to lead to human rights. That each person had rights. An amazingly novel c- concept. I, I, you know, it's just such a beautiful, you know, when people, there's a lot of people these days that, are, that give the enlightenment a lot of trouble Because, you know, the Enlightenment was fueling a lot of colonialism and stuff. And that was true. But that colonialism basically was the residue of amber coming up through the Enlightenment. And, you know, everybody knows that if you give red and amber, um, orange.
0: Modern modern weaponry. Yeah. Railroads (laughs) and telegraphs and guns. Oh, Lord. Bad things happen. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, a lot of bad things happened, but it really did lead into increasing nonviolent models of conflict resolution.
0: Yeah, yeah. the Magna Carta was a big part of that, because that was the differentiation with civil law versus religious law, right? The secularization
1: of of the law. And now it doesn't have to be as much, you know, from God. Now it's from what works, what's fair. And, you know, fairness is a big deal. Little kids are acutely aware of fairness. Now, they have, you know, they, if we can go up the evolutionary ladder with a, with a, with a human child, um, it's primitive when they're young, but it still says you know, there was, a, there was a four-year-old and a six-year-old. This is a true story. So the mom gave the, the, the six-year-old two cookies and they gave the four-year-old one cookie, okay? And the four-year-old was super pissed. No no, 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 that's not fair. So the mom said, okay, I'll take care of it. She took his cookie, broke it in half, and says, now you have two. And he said, okay, I'm fine. <laughs> it was fair. Um, now, that wouldn't have worked for him when he became formal operational, but that instinct for fairness is there. It's right. there in all of this. And so, and the cool thing about the last hundred years is we began to bring the interiors into this. It's not just about the contract, what's fair under the law. The mediation movements, um, Anatole Rappaport was was one of the pioneers of this, involved, uh, and it was international mediation. It was everybody has to understand the other person's point before they start advocating. And we want to have a solution that's not just um, fair under the law, but that people feel good about.
0: Right. So when did this come online in, you know, sort of a mass way, this mediation you're talking about? This happened in the last hundred years. Okay. You know, that, and, and I think it was driven. because I mean, we did have the golden rule where we want to take the other person's perspective.
1: I, I, I think that's always been there. And then, yeah. of course, that's what we love about the New Testament, you know, the, the brotherhood of man. I'm looking at the Dharma, the, the development of the law, the, the development of Dharma. Right. In a way, in a way it's, it's seen it become more mainstream. Yeah. You know, like you and I were ecologically conscious in the 70s, but it's mainstream now.
0: Well, exactly. And, and, and actually, Greeks had rights. If you were in the nobility. Yeah. But then yes. we get this sort of more mass application of that with the Magna Carta. And, uh, you know, so that's what we're talking about here.
1: Right. The Greeks had slaves. Hammurabi gave slaves rights, but they were still slaves. Yeah. Okay. In 20th century, you can't be slaves. The mediation movements are we're interested in interiors. You know, the, the, the development of, of, of psychology and psychoanalysis and so on. Um, my, my aunt and uncle, my aunt, they're Baha'is, and they're both judges, and they were asked by um, the Pakistan government to go mediate settlements, disputes between Pakistan and, and Afghanistan border, and they went and did that for a while. And it was very much about, we want, we want people to go away feeling like it's fair. We want the interiors to be working, not just the exteriors under the law, which is where psychotherapy takes us. Right. It's like with, and, and John Gottman, when he developed his, his blueprint for repair, he borrowed from Anatole Rappaport, um in his system because it works.
0: Yeah. Well, God knows it's better than the previous stage, which would be endless blood feuds yes. for generations. As, you know, whoever was was on top treated the other side unfairly and, and their children domination. and their children's children domination submission domination submission and so now we get basically a win win uh-huh. that's good huh yeah That's progress
1: and, and in win win we can still have conflict yep. uh, but the conflict is for excitement you know, you know you know good sex you need a little you need an edge there okay there's conflict um, you know a play you need an edge there there's yep. conflict. all that uh, and, and so, but especially in conflict resolution, um, right. and, and especially in intimacy. This is why, why I wanted to talk about second-tier intimacy around this.
0: Yeah. Because well, actually, before we do, let me just note a territory that a lot of us go through on the way. And th- this is sort of that green territory where, you know, conflict, I just don't want any of it. You know, I, I just yeah. can't handle any conflict. And <laughs> I've, I'm, there's still a big part of me in that territory. You know, I do it, but do I like it? Do I choose it? Do I, you know, bring it online in a conscious way? Not necessarily. It's an edge for me.
1: Yeah. Well, it's scary. You know, conflict is always scary, Um, not just interpersonal conflict, but intrapersonal conflict. Which is, when we're dealing with ourselves, where are the problems? The problems are when we have interior conflict. In fact, Freud di- Freud's definition of neurosis was an internalized conflict.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, what, what happens after the, the sort of green pacification, if you will, is then at Integral we start to see the, uh, where conflict is juicy and good, and we bring it back online in a conscious way, and that's what we're talking about here. That's
1: exactly what we're talking about, and, and this is where the dialectic isn't enough. You know, you can practice the dialectic from every value meme, but every value meme has embedded blind spots where the dialectic's going to break down. Okay? You know You tell a red power god, you know you shouldn't dominate just because you can." He'll go, what are you, what's your point?" You know? You 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 tell say a, a fundamentalist an eye for an eye is not is not an effective way of solving problems. You know, go yeah, it's in the Bible. It is an effective way.
0: Yeah.
1: Or you know, uh, one of my favorite orange examples is Mitt Romney going, "Look, I'm I'm paying 14 percent taxes. I'm paying what the law says," and he genuinely was was bemused. What's your problem? That was such an orange response to to that it was a blind, it was an embedded blind spot, and then you were talking about the embedded blind spots in green around hierarchy, around the value of conflict, around the expression of the warrior. Um, no yeah y- we don't want to go there I, I mean <laughs> anyway, I, I'm in the 70s I, I remember uh, saying to to one group that psychotherapy was a form of combat without killing. And there were a couple of just horrified green reactions <laughs>
0: I know. Well, greed does plenty of conflict. It just doesn't like it, you know, and it's, it, 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 yeah, exactly.
1: And, and the, you know, it gets, it gets more challenging, but it gets juicier as we get better at this. Um, you know, why is that? Well, we want to bring just enough conflict into work, play, um, uh, service, and love so that we're optimizing them but not enough so that we get rigid or we get, so we get lost in chaos. But we do, if we don't do enough, we tend to get rigid. And, you know, we, going back to complexity theory, remember, the danger is where, where we don't go to greater complexity is when we caught, get caught in rigidity or when we escalate into chaos. So you look at human relationships. Human relationships do really fine until one of us is threatened, okay? Now, now they do fine. We can play. But if one of us gets threatened, the conflict will arise. Now, now, resolving conflict isn't enough for a great relationship. You also have to play. You know, couples that don't up-level fun times divorce after an average of 16
0: years. They, you know, uh, up-level fun times. What's yeah. that? That's cool. I like it. But what is it?
1: Well, you're a couple and you need to put some energy into having fun. You know, g- g- sex, play. Laughter, uh, uh, the, the guy who studied this the most, John Gottman, you know, I just love that guy. Um, so he's, he has a few answers when people ask him, you know, seminal questions like, "Who should I choose?" And he said, "Choose someone you laugh easily with, okay? Because now you're taking care of that and and protect that, protect that play. Mm-hmm. So whatever you like to do, go to the opera, go to the movies." You know hang out and watch the sunset if it's a shared activity where we're feeling some sense of shared pleasure We're up leveling the positives. Yep. and, and that
0: have of laughter itself Somehow, you know penetrates the ego boundaries. It's a liberating force Literally, there's energy that's allowed into the system when we laugh.
1: Oh, yeah when they <laughs> spent a Long time to bed meditators when they went into their med- meditation thing you know everything lit up in their brain that doesn't happen to anybody else unless they're laughing and then the same thing really? yeah when you're laughing laughter your brain is is is, is having the same eeg signature as a longtime meditator when he's in unity
0: Interesting. It, that that, that uh, explains something that I always loved, and I'm not sure I totally understood, from Chokham Trumpa. He would say, you know, he was t- a Tibetan lineage with all these lamas and tokus and Rinpoche's and whatever. And he would say that you can always tell the ones who have the highest level of achievement or attainment because they're playful. Yes. Isn't that something? Yes. If that's the marker of the high attainment, then I'll take it. Boy, Trumpa,
1: you know, he, there's a lot of stuff that came from that guy. A lot of, yep. and it's still enduring, you know, okay. the, his stuff.
0: For sure. He proceeded, so, gotta, he proceeded uh, the uh, Me Too movement, <laughs> fortunately for him. But, you know, his teachings are largely impeccable.
1: Well, and, and, I, and see, that's a really good example of not resolving your interior conflicts.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah know, he also drank himself to death at age 48
1: which is another example of not resolving your interior conflicts. It's the, the lines and levels have profound impact. And if I allow myself to say, I'm, I'm high enough on that level, you know, that's fine. Or I can violate my values in that level. Um, eventually, I'm gonna pay a price for that, whatever that is. It doesn't mean I have to live a perfect life, but it does mean that if on some level I'm, there's an edge between Keith's values and Keith's behavior and so on, that edge needs, needs, I need to keep that edge growing. That's a fractal yeah. Right. I don't want it to get lost in chaos. I don't want to dissociate and have it get lost in rigidity. I want to keep my attention into it until it gets to a point where it feels virtuous
0: and now it's okay for now. Well, you're almost, you're making me think about relationship in general yeah. and you know, how relationships can get stale. Mm-hmm. with friends with family whatever and it again it's i'm loving this uh fractal boundary this chaos and rigidity mm-hmm. and we don't want to go on either you know we don't get lost in either side of those we want that fertile middle uh-huh. which is um to be maintained in relationship by the continuous telling of the truth yes yes with courage yes. with love With compassion, compassion and with play, you know, I mean, right? right? When I think of some of my relationships that have gotten stale, I I could, you know, I've been around the block a few times. I could see that sometimes they just go away and they they're over. Mm -hmm. But if there is something that causes a conflict. Often that'll get us through to a new level. And if, off, you know i unfortunately I've done it unconsciously too many times, but I'm learning
1: if you can keep the attention on the dialectic at that point, see so there's up leveling play, which is necessary now there's conflict, okay, conflict that's lost in rigidity as we go back into our positions and don't change them. Um, conflict that's lost in chaos as we accelerate into now both of those things separate um, and A good example of getting lost in rigidity is a lot of couples get sexually stale with each other. Um, Now, I think that there's reasons for that from an evolutionary standpoint on account of we pass out of romantic infatuation. But from a structural standpoint of relationship, no two lovers are perfectly matched. So you're always going to have some kind of conflict. When you have that conflict, at least in this culture where we're taught to dissociate away from sex and not talk about it. If people don't have a resolution, they'll dissociate away from it and get into a rigid position which takes juice out of that fractal interface. It's too scary to be there. And so they don't accelerate into chaos, but they but they begin to lose connection because you disconnect from rigidity just as you can disconnect from chaos. If you can stay at the fractal interface with love and with compassion and with with play, Mm -hmm. eventually that fractal interface. Transforms into greater complexity and you've added some juice to your sexual relationship. Yeah, so you can do that throughout a lifetime.
0: Yeah, well Well, and I love how you put it in your notes here. You say that second tier conflict resolution often doesn't even look like conflict Uh Right, right because if if you're doing this consciously with another person who's doing this consciously then it's fun, right?
1: Yeah, you know, one, one interesting statistic around happy couples. Happy couples, this is misunderstood. People used to think you have to say five positives to every one negative in a relation. In a, in a, that's, that's a misreading of the data. Happy couples have positive affect five times more than negative affect in an argument. Now, what does that mean? That means that on an interior level, each one of them is regulating themselves away from rigidity and chaos into loving this person in the present moment and trying to put in positives, you know, love, play, interest, that kind of stuff. They're both doing that simultaneously. That requires an enormous amount of self-regulation, not just consciously, but unconsciously. Development is marked by the growth of our unconscious way more than the growth of our conscious. And as our unconscious grows, it regulates for us. So when you get into a stable place of, of this kind of conflict resolu- resolution in the second tier, your unconscious, even when you're mad and your instinct says, I want to attack this person or get away from, from them, your unconscious is saying, no, what I want to do is get back to love with this person. You know, Really, once people are mad at each other, they don't really want to get back to love. I want to attack you. I want to do this other stuff. But if my unconscious regulates that, then my conscious can remember it and go, "Okay, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to be good vibes and remember you're a good person. I'm a good person. You know, I'm going to resist telling you my negative story about you or, or explaining to you how fucked up your position. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we stop. I mean, I, I stopped believing my negative story about them. You know, in a way, I mean, this is where integral theory has really helped me so much. Me uh, even just to think of typology and mm-hmm. the enneagram or whatever, that I now see Chuck, my guy, as a six enneagram six. I'm an enneagram five. Uh, we, we're going to be natural enemies in the wild in certain <laughs> ways, okay. and 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 I could be irritated by the the those. Six qualities that, you know, are irritating. He could be irritated by mine. But I actually see now through Integral and all the ways that we do cosmic addresses in terms of people's stages and lines of development and states and all of that stuff. We just get curious about each other rather than critical. You You know, that's just a
1: flip. You see how that's a profoundly evolutionary position? Yes. How, how, yes, how it makes that worth the reason that we can be forgiving of each other's, you know, irritations with that understanding is because we both know, even though we have these these inherent capacities for conflict, we're both continuing to grow. Yes. You know, an evolutionary perspective says, yeah you know, we might have a, a difficulty dealing with each other as different types of people, you know, Becky's a nine, I'm a six, we, you know, we have that stuff. But there's a sense of in the areas we have trouble, we're gradually getting better. Yeah. That, that sense of we're gradually, we're evolving, we're gradually getting better, gives us the room to be accepting, to have radical acceptance for what is. Mm. And one, of the, one of the worst things you can say to your partner in a conflict is to say, that's the way I am. Get used to it. Ugh. You know, in other words, I'm not going to change at all. One of the best things you can say is, yeah, I realize this part of me irritates you and I'm working on it. But it's kind of hard to change my, you know, my fear stuff because I'm a fear type. You know, I, I, I progress slowly. You know, I'm six, five, ten, five six, and seven. They're, you know,
0: they're, they're fear type. I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's really wonderful. And, and you know, to the degree that, uh, just to go back to Chuck and me, uh, to the degree that we can bring all of that into the open and be playful with it, and be playful with his little contractions, and my, you know, uh, withdrawals, and, you know, all of the things that make us who we are, it becomes fun, you know, and 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 we just sort of know that it's an area of our mutual growth. And it's still conflict. And it's
1: still conflict. But it's and still irritating. Going back to what you said earlier... I've seen you guys do this. And I know that it's a conflict but but somebody else wouldn't see it that way because you're self-regulating to stay in that place and you're with each other you're, you're maintaining the dialectic. You know in the second tier we still have primitive intrusions and blind spots that, you know that are blind spots in the first tier but we have the capacity to observe them in the second tier. So I, I had the capacity to go, whoa, I had a I had a wave of rage when you just said that. Okay, saying I had a wave of rage can be interesting to my partner. Speaking from a wave of rage at my partner is could be terrifying no, no, no. to me. Okay. So so you're doing this incredibly sophisticated self-regulation, going back and forth in the dialectic, and then bam, something is more complex emerges, and we know it's more complex. Why? It feels better. It does. It's It's more funner. There's more compassion, there's deeper consciousness, which is the the marker of development of consciousness. Deep more compassion, deeper consciousness. And that's conflict in the second tier. It's, you know, I, I I spend, you know, I do therapy pretty much nonstop Monday through Thursday, right? And about a third of it is couples. And and they come in, and more often than not, we have to deal with conflicts. Uh, on varying levels, depending upon all you know their actual address and you know their trauma, you know all the things that. But always when that's happening, there's a part of me that's envisioning them in a second tier conflict resolution process. You know, it's a map that I guide them towards. I mean, maybe the only step that we can take is when when he starts saying mean things, you have to interrupt him when he's starting the second one and tell him I only can process one you know angry thing at a time. Now, if she can do that, and if he can allow himself to be interrupted, they've just taken a step in the right direction. Big one. Yeah. But basically, what we're doing is we're kind of at Amber at that point. Okay? We're, you know I'm trying to develop a tradition in their relationship to make emotional violence as unacceptable as physical violence is for most couples. Um, now, the only way to do that is to train your unconscious to do it. You know, I mean, so you you just go through those different places, and you know, and I, it's okay with me wherever anybody is, as long as they're willing to receive influence and move forward. I know where they're going. Now, in the second tier, it's just a lot easier and more fun. There's more laughter and there's more enjoyment and there's less risk. Mm -hmm. There's less danger.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I fortunately learned most of this decades ago. But I came from an environment where saying mean things was okay. Yeah, me too. You know, and it took me a long time to realize that it's not.
1: <laughs> no, it's
0: not. And it doesn't mean that, I, you know, I'm living under a wet blanket and, you know, all of the juice is gone. That, that, I think it I thought it meant that. But, You know,
1: you, know, you don't have to be mean to set a boundary. You know, I had a pretty happy childhood, I got to say, until I was around 12 or 13 when everything went to hell. But before before that, it was a happy childhood. But when people asked me, what was it like? I go, well, I was kind of raised by wolves in that if in my family, if you push too far, someone would yelp at you. Okay. so that's kind of how it went. Yeah. Now, it didn't work for me at 12 or 13. I just happened to be someone who is completely obsessed and fascinated with interiors. Okay. You can't take somebody like that and put them into a culture that doesn't have any provision for interiors without having consequences. Right. So right, Consequence with me is, you know, I kind of bubbled my hostile, negative, destructive shadow interiors over everybody until somebody gave me some way of dealing with interiors, um, which happens with a lot of teenagers.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's functional in its own way. You know, it's just painful and there's a better way to do it. Well, and it's dangerous, and it's dangerous. Yeah, you know, the, the, people get the, those people really hurt
1: You know, it's that's the suicide rate going up for teenagers. That's mm-hmm. um, you know the the, um, the that's that's twenty five percent of murders in this country being love triangles. You know, it's it's dangerous to 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 not have an understanding of those forces and an, and an evolutionary perspective of I want to evolve to the the point where I'm. I'm naturally attracted, even in in a state of duress, to the nonviolent solution that produces more compassion or more love. Well, You know, we've talked about the, the, the difference between dominator hierarchies and growth hierarchies, and we've talked about the difference between handling and relating. In the second tier, basically, you do an awful lot of relating, and if you're handling, you're handling with the full understanding by the other person that they're allowing themselves to be handled by you. Thank you very much. You know, and it, which is way different than handling somebody Could be
0: great. I love being handled. <laughs> yeah, by yeah. somebody who knows how to do it. Bring it on.
1: Yeah, thank you. Soothe me. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Now, listen to me. You know, yeah. I want to rave I want to rave about insurance companies for 2 minutes. Okay, I can listen to you rave about insurance companies for <laughs> or pharmaceutical companies. Okay, now I've listened to you rave enough Keith. Right. Now, exactly.
0: Just- but that okay. what what a great 2 minutes that can be.
1: Oh, God. That's so why
0: I therapists in the wild.
1: I wanted to be able to rave. You know, rant about things every once in a while. Yeah, totally. Know,
0: I, that's one of the things I love about Integral is that you know we transcend these earlier stages, but we include them. We yeah. just civilize them. They're still there, and they get to be there, and we get to bring them out and play with them. And as long as we're doing it with somebody who knows how to play back, it's really great. But none of the, we're not contracted around any of it anymore. You and know, expecting a, all of them. Yeah, and accepting so, all of them. And, I
1: radically accept the fact that you have to. Now, I believe I believe that times you have to set firm boundaries. I don't think that you have to be disrespectful. Right. But I believe you have to set firm boundaries sometimes.
0: Well, so, I don't know. I, I always love this line by Scott Peck, you know, who wrote, wrote Less Traveled. He said that a gentleman is someone who never offends another person unintentionally. There you go. So, there I, you I, got go. I got that. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. I like that. And,
1: The same for physical constraint. Yeah. You know, that's martial arts. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have to do violence, you do it, and you do it in the way you're supposed to do it, only when you have no other alternative. Okay.
0: And make it a nice, clean cut when you take their head off. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it really takes me back to Miyamoto Musashi, Book of Five Rings. You know, one of of the things that that he says, he said, don't slash, cut.
0: Really? (laughs) I I like that.
1: Think always of the cutting. He said, you don't want to be a slasher. And I thought, well, you know, I, I like that applied to psychotherapy. You know, don't think about, you know, messing around. Think about going right to the heart. of what
0: yeah. Oh, right a clean cut can be such a great kindness.
1: Yeah. You yeah. Know. And, and you totally. do it as, as compassionately as possible.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is,
1: again, in the second tier, if, if, if I, that's delivered to me, and I feel it, and I feel the defensive intensity arise, The instinct is, whoa, where is this extra energy coming from? Now at that particular point, I'm at a fractal boundary. I'm not lost in in chaos where that energy once is pushing me because it's threatening stuff. I don't get lost in rigidity as you're all screwed up and I'm not going to let go of that. I go, whoa, where is that upsurge coming from? And If you're with me on that, we stay at that fractal boundary and greater complexity is going to come out of it. Insight's going to come out of that. Development's going to come out. More love and more play is going to come out of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. (laughs) That's that line again. Where is that? I got to find that again. Uh, It transforms into warmth and intimacy. The gold standards of interpersonal repair.
1: Yeah. If you if you're not feeling warm towards your partner, you you haven't repaired yet. Yeah. You know, and then you know, you know if you're feeling warm, and they know if they're feeling warm. If we have not feeling warm, well, we now now we got to go feel warm. You know, it's funny when I sometimes working with couples, you know, they'll get a little stuck, and I'll say, Look, look at each other and just be warm. And you know, when I ask them to do it, they'll look at each other, they'll start laughing, and they'll be warm. And I'll say, So I can ask you to do it, and you can do it in the middle of this argument. So I want you guys to do that. Oh, I want you to, I want both of you to be responsible for saying, Well, wait a minute, you know, let's look and remember who we are and be warm right now. Yeah. Let's, let's add, you know, more positive affect to that fractal interface until greater complexity arises out of it. Now, in the Dharma, the Dharma has progressed along with all this other stuff. And now we have, you know, I've written eight books about this stuff. Um, um, Right now, there's a renaissance in um, uh, human development, psychotherapy, uh, relationships, and all that other stuff. Because people are feeling their own versions of this particular wisdom, and they really want to share it with other people. And so the Dharma around this has expanded enormously. And the thing that happens in the second tier is it doesn't just stop with you and me. Because we understand that you and I are part of a vast array of interlocking contexts that we're responsible for.
0: Right. Well, and that, that, that gets me to the bigger context in... You know, what we've been mainly talking about is interpersonal conflict. And I guess that's all the way up. But how about, you know, what are we going to do with these Trump people? Oh, man. How about the culture war? You Mm -hmm. know, that's an area of conflict that a lot of people listening to this are really suffering with.
1: I agree. And, and, you know, I have, as you know, my my biases about this are with deeper consciousness comes more responsibility. I, I look to have engagement with people, say, Trump supporters, when I have an opportunity, but I don't do a dialectic with them. You know, they're just going to get irritated if I throw facts at them. You know, they're in an amber altitude. But I, what I want them to do is to feel understood and, and, and supported by someone who disagrees with them. Why? I wanna, I'm basically speaking to their unconscious. I want their unconscious to go, well, these other people will disagree, but, you know, Keith was understanding and supportive even though he disagreed with me And he didn't burden me with all those nasty facts that make me feel so pissed off and and contemptuous of him You know don't you know that you know science has a has a liberal bias Okay, that's that's fine. But I want the org. I want the conversations to continue Now the other part about this is my own Dream would be that all the babies and all the mothers and all the infants and all the pregnant pe- women and all the young couples, particularly the disadvantaged ones, would get a lot of attention and a lot of support through pregnancy into the first um, in, into development into um, uh, the school system where we were teaching people how to, to mediate uh, problems, which happens in a lot of elementary schools, um, how to have empathy. There's empathy programs a lot of elementary schools. All these things tend to produce p- kids that are more likely to learn critical thinking at 12 and 13, have growth mindsets, which is an evolutionary mindset, and eventually the, the Trump supporters' children at some point are going to want what's more beautiful, good, and true. And, you know, y- you cannot make a case for Trump, Trump's positions or the things that he's done being more beautiful, good, and true. They're certainly more satisfying to an eye-for-an-eye consciousness, you know, because he's smiting people they don't like. But it's not beautiful, good, and true. Yeah. And so... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I, um, I, you you know, what really helps me with this is the, um, it's a little bit like I was talking about with the, one of the things that Integral brings us is these cosmic addresses and types and development stages and so forth. And... I realize that the world is full of people at all kinds of cosmic addresses. Uh-huh. And they see the world differently. They actually get different inputs. They value different things. They process information differently. And they have a piece of the truth that I, at my cosmic address, am actually missing. Yeah, and that is a great practice for me, to see what is the piece of the truth that these people have That, you know, my enemies of all stripes, I have many of them, (laughs) but. (laughs) I don't think you have many enemies. Well, you know, but it really does make having an enemy a lot more interesting and a lot more fruitful if you realize, what do they have to teach me, actually? I mean, I know what I have to teach them. And I've been, God knows I've been, you know, I've been on the, when I think of my friends who disagree with me, I've been on the improve them project for a long time. (laughs) Uh, But what do they have to teach me is a lot harder. And, and when are they right? Yeah, and you know, when, when are they right? Exactly, what are they seeing that I'm not?
1: Yeah, when is their position exactly the? You know, when I was studying karate, one time I was, you know, the talking about your hypermasculine cultures, judo karate. So there was this guy who was just the nastiest guy in the in the, in the school. His name was Jeff, and when I got my black belt, he took me out on the floor and just worked me over to let me know I wasn't. Hot shit! (laughs) Right now, you get your black belt. You're not hot shit. No, he really let me know. Anyway, he and this brown belt were at the Huntington Beach drinking beer one day, and they were jumped by four or five guys. You know, I don't know how they did it, but they all jumped. So I heard the I heard Jeff tell the story, and I heard the brown belt tell the story. Now, when the brown belt told the story, he was terrified. He said, "God, this guy was all over me. He was hitting me. I was trying to get my way out of it. You know, finally did, and they started running away." Jeff told a story and he was just happy as hell. He said, yeah, you know, these five or six guys, I forget how many, they jumped us. So first of all, I did this and this with this guy, and then I did this and this with this guy, I pulled the other guy off and did this and this, and then all of a sudden they were running away. You know, he sounded vaguely regretful that they were running away. (laughs) I kind of more identify with the brown belt because I don't really, I don't like violence. I don't like the idea of having to hurt another person. Jeff had loved hurting other people. But I thought in that situation, that worldview is exactly the right worldview to have. Yeah. Not only that, he was not traumatized by that event. Brown Belt might have been traumatized. He was really scared, you well. know, here for his life.
0: Jeff was completely enlivened by that. He was just, oh boy. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah. these guys I, are giving me an yeah. opportunity. Well, I, I was just thinking, I wonder what belt it is when you like put your hands over your head and shriek. <laughs> That's what I'd do.
1: As I think it's your 15th, it's your 15th level, bell.
0: I, I don't know.
1: You know, it might, might just be exactly the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it's, it's the only thing I got. So, you know, it's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've sorted this out. Anything we have yet to say? Only? Put on the table? Only I'm looking forward to what everybody else is going to be saying
1: about Dharma and the evolution of con- consciousness. At Miles' thing, yeah, well, right. not, You know his summit. I'm excited about it on the twenty. And what's the time. name of it again? It's it's called Dharma and the Evolution of Conflict. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to speaking, but also I'm looking forward to hearing what every, you know Ken's going to talk. You know, Ken always comes up with something mind
0: blowing. Oh yeah.
1: So totally. you know, that's, oh boy, it looks yeah. like something something on the horizon that sounds like an awful lot of fun. So. There's that.
0: Yes, there's always that. Well, what fun, Keith. And like I said, you know, it took us, I don't know, I think I counted up 28 shrinks from the pundits and finally we get the conflict.
1: You finally get the conflict. Uh, How amazing is that?
0: Yeah. But it really, the the turn that where we turn towards conflict and start using it and it's our magic carpet. Yeah. that, 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 That second tier insight. Is really really powerful, and uh, you know I'm working on it. What can I tell you? Me too. Thank you, Dr. Keith Witt. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you? People can go onto my website, drkeithwitt.com.
1: I got a new thing on my website. If you sign up for my website, every week you'll get a little video and a little blog and some resources about a topic that's exciting to me. Great. Um, yeah, I figured, uh, you know, but I was challenged. I, I only wanted to do 14 of them. And so, you know, there's an awful lot of them. So they were the 14 things that, are, that seem most central and relevant and exciting to me now. And so if you sign up on my website, it's free. But if you sign up on my website, you'll get that. You'll get one of those a week for the next 14 weeks.
0: All right, man. Good luck with it. Thank you. And we will see you next time on The Shrink and the Pundit. Uh, you can find all my stuff at dailyevolver.com. Join Integral Life. It's well worth it. And I guess that's it for today. Thanks, folks.
1: Much love to everybody.